I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. How y'all doing? Welcome to the new listeners. We're, you know, on the air an hour early. Shout out to all my uh, Coachella Valley peeps. Um, yeah. Want to slide in the DMs? You can do so by going to our Loveline AG page. Drop your questions in the DMs and uh, we'll get them on the show. Anything you're wondering about, we got your answers. And also later in the show, we're going to be talking about mental health because it's May and it's what we do. But it's also May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we'll be talking about some specifics around that, especially around roles of power and people that have power in our lives and how to disempower those that have that power. We want to kind of flatten that out. Uh, but I wanted to talk about some stuff that's going on in the news that's mental health specific and related. A lot of people, there's a lot of stories coming out about uh, adults, parents, yanking their kids out of school when they found out that their school is teaching critical race theory. My mind's boggled. We all have so much anti-racism work to do. Schools should be a place where that's talked about. Like 100%, values are learned and taught in school. Ethics are learned and taught in school. School's about education. And we live in a racist, white supremacist culture, period. Hard stop. And it's okay to talk about that. I don't know what parents are afraid of. Why are they afraid of us discussing that some individuals are treated better than others and talking about how we can be better allies to gay kids, trans kids, black kids, fat kids, disabled kids? Yeah, it's diverse and creative. We need to learn how to encounter and have language around that and look at levels of oppression and violence. You pulling your kid out is you shouting, I'm okay with white supremacy and I'm a racist, period. There's also a viral video of a woman, uh, this was at a Missouri school meeting, saying, just because I don't want my kids to learn about racism, I'm not a racist. Yes, ma'am, you are. That is literally the very definition. If you're not dismantling homophobia and transphobia and fatphobia and all that, then your silence is allowing it to exist and strengthen, thereby making you part of the problem. So yeah, if you don't call it fatphobia, you're part of fatphobia. Your silence is fatphobic, 100%. We're doing better this year. We're calling out these exercise gym programs that have really body shaming names and they talk about weight loss and calorie counting. That's, that's not mentally healthy. We're divorcing ourselves from that. And we're talking about things like schools. Schools need to be discussing racism and homophobia. I want schools to have a class on critically analyzing how we uphold systems of homophobia and transphobia. We need, to, we need that too. So I hope that's also added to the curriculum. And these same parents will probably yank them out for that. I'm worried, I feel bad for your kids because they're gonna be held accountable to doing anti-racism work and you're not giving them the opportunity. So if you aren't racist, ma'am, at this Missouri meeting, as you claim to not be, so please help me understand then, if not at school, where is it that you're helping be a part of dismantling that system? Like, they don't even have a good answer. It's a bummer. I, I don't know what they're, well, I do know what they're afraid of. 
Uh, let's keep talking about other things that are a bummer to me. A uh, study was done. This came out of um, an Australian research project. Uh, so 73% of the men said that they'd rather die young than stop eating meat. And it wasn't because they said, ah, I support the violence and torture of animals because I like meat, because that is what you're doing for eating meat. But they're really saying that their masculinity is so fragile and so bizarrely tied to being seen eating meat, which is so strange to me, that they would not be able to handle, their ego wouldn't be able to handle what might be assumed about them if they gave up meat. Like toughen up and grow up, right? Your identity and your worth as a person shouldn't be tied to whether or not you eat meat. And we need to we need to let go of this desire to be performing masculinity or your femininity fully and correctly. You don't need to be a man or a real man, just be a person. And in fact, being a real healthy person and focusing on mental health will often mean going up against what we've been trained to believe it means to be a man. That is part of being mentally healthy, living outside of that and challenging at that. Because anytime we're trying to fulfill a role, the role of professional, the role of parent, we're not living in truth and honesty. We're not really giving the people before us what they need. And that's why I'm all about liberation and freedom. That's where truth and mental health lies. You know, everyone needs something different. And we need to accommodate that. But don't perform parent. Don't perform maleness. Perform truth. Be yourself. Let's raise and mirror for kids. It's better to be yourself than to fulfill the requirements of what it means to be a good mom or a man or whatever we're talking about. Meat is bad for our environment. We are in a climate crisis. We are in an ecological crisis. One of the number one parts of climate change and ruining the environment is the meat industry. We need to stop eating meat, period. That's environmental. We need to care about that. Our mental health is deeply tied to the environment. We are not separate from it. We've constructed a false separation. We literally are constantly breathing in the air from the trees around us. Our fruits and vegetables have lower levels of vitamin because we've problematically participated in live, large-scale agricultural practices that have depleted and over- farmed the soil. Our fruits and vegetables have lower levels of vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals than they used to have. We now do need to be supplementing with vitamins and mineral supplements because it's not in the fruits and vegetables like it used to. That's all part of this. Our bodies require that. We can't be mentally healthy if we're not eating fruits and vegetables. We need those vitamins and chemicals and, and minerals 100%. So it's all in there. And it's things like masculinity and normativity that are pushing us back. Um, We'll keep talking about it. We have to be tying all these things in. We have these false sense of separation. It's just not real. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about aspects of the pandemic that might be showing up for the first time. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. Hey, you guys tired of hearing about the pandemic yet? I certainly am. I had to stop watching the news in the morning because it was just nonstop updates on it. And I was just like, my, you know, it's like, like that's all I can hear. And my eyesight's coming in and out and it's so stinking repetitive. And that's why in the other segment, I was like, let's talk about how we need to clean and get rid of our masks because that's actually relevant. And, and that's something that's actually meaningful and right in front of us. But, and again, that's not to diminish what's going on in the world around us because my God, my heart breaks for what's happening in India and Brazil. Those numbers are astronomically high and they're lacking resources. And I'm thankful that we're seeing ourselves sending over things like oxygen. Um, but like, we do need to be pushing back on big pharma and how they're trying to protect their, their money by keeping the patents and not letting wider access 
to those patents happen so that larger numbers of vaccines can be created. Like that's a, that's a failure of a culture where we care more about money and power than we do about all the people dying and we're unwilling to break those patents. So shame on us for that. And also there's places still like Canada that are under a full lockdown, although their vaccines are doing better and their numbers aren't as high, but they're still struggling with opening up. So I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish that when I, when I mock, well not mock, but when I say that the news is kind of making my brain a little numb, it's just, it's a lot. Um, so it's still holding a presence in our lives. It's still impacting us. And I want people to know that it's even, even as things are opening and even as we're getting vaccinated, the echoes, the effects of what we just gone through still linger. I feel it powerfully. My social anxiety and my agoraphobia, which is my anxiety about being, being requested to leave the house is more amplified than it had been. I was already one of those people where anxiously, I don't like high levels of socialization, um, leaving the house is a little bit of a mental strain for me. And uh, even more so now because I've become very familiar being barricaded in my home and having very low levels of socialization. And I'm going to accommodate myself and put my mental health first and I will slowly re-enter the world. Pretty much turning down every invite to hang out and I'm turning down requests to be in studio for podcasts and to shoot some things. Um, I'm moving very slow and and it feels good. And I, and I want to remind everyone to do that because the number one thing people are talking about is loss of motivation. It will come back, but I'm hoping it comes back in a more honest way. I think some of the things that we're not motivated to do are honestly some of the things we never wanted to do. And now maybe we should realize that we don't want to bring them back in our lives. Or we want to bring them back in differently, but it's okay to lack some motivation, right? We're just trying to get our basic needs right now. And we're trying to crawl back to the things and slowly move back. Um, but I will say that what I've come to realize is that things aren't as daunting or as scary once I'm engaging in them as it seemed to from the position of being in our safer, for those that feel home to be safe, I shouldn't assume that. There's a lot of people where being home isn't safe. It's a site of a lot of abuse and violence or you know, problematic relationships to things like drugs and alcohol. So I don't wanna assume everyone is better off at home. There are some people that are better off out in the world, at work, at school, whatever we're talking about. But um, for those that are feeling struggle to stay they're starting to stay motivated and really participate in things, just take your time, move slowly. It's not as bad as it looks or as bad as it sounds. We are, um, but there is an honesty in that. You know, some things people are feeling unmotivated about. I'm like, I don't know that that really was any ever that meaningful to you. Um, also, it's okay to not relate to those that are just kind of seamlessly and joyfully just right back out in the world or have always been participating. Um, we don't need to be resentful. We don't need to compare ourselves. We don't need to keep up with them. Um, I'm trying to look at a study here. Uh, yeah, so this was a Microsoft survey and I don't have that much detail, but they said that, uh, this was just last month, they found that 61% of business leaders said they're thriving while only 38% of workers felt the same. Now that's not really meaningful to me at all actually. Um, yeah, so I don't want us to compare, and that's the problem with stats, is it kind of lays out an expectation or a norm and we immediately determine are we normal or are we quote unquote flawed, disordered, or struggling, right? And it shouldn't be about that. It should be us really assessing you know, where we're at and kind of living from that, so we'll ignore that. But also, I was looking at a lot of research, looking at the individuals that are considering a job switch. And I think that that's kind of born out of what we're talking about, where people realize, I don't love what I was doing, or I didn't like the conditions, you know, or I didn't like my colleagues, or I didn't like the aspects uh, skill sets, maybe that, that work 
required and people are moving towards more authenticity and they're kind of like, oh, I wanna work in a field that brings me more joy or happiness or whatever the factors are. So yeah, there's a lot of people considering job switches. Um, people put their career on hold, some people lost their jobs. Wanna really be horrified? Look at this, this stat, a Gallup, a Gallup poll conducted in the second half of 2020, right? Found that over a billion people worldwide, a billion, over a billion lost their jobs or business due to COVID. That is massive. I mean, even one person hurts my heart, but over a billion, that is, um, that is massive. <laughs> I don't know what else to say other than that. And that's gonna impact not just the market, but how people see jobs, maybe holding on tighter and more thankful they have it, or actually normalizing, being unemployed or normalizing, looking, you know? I hope it normalizes that there's more people in that phase where they're looking for better, they're looking for different. Um, but I'll remind you what I remind my clients and friends, it's best to find a new job while you still currently have one because then you're comfortable, there's no stress or less stress, no necessary time limit, and finances are still coming in. So if you're not happy with your job, keep it, right? Unless it's completely toxic and keep looking for something better and that pays better. It's better leverage when you're, you know, interviewing and applying that you have one. And like I said, mentally, it'll make you feel grounded. It'll give you structure. And when you're looking, knowing you're leaving, it also softens everything. You know, you're like, ah, I'm going to leave anyway. So you kind of really center your productivity to a, to a better, lower level. You're not stressing yourself out anymore. You know, this doesn't have to be forever. And just that creates a really powerful improving mental shift, you know, just knowing that there's more out there. Same thing with dating. If you're in a bad relationship, I've recommended to some people while in their bad relationship to go online, um, not necessarily to meet anyone, but just to see all the things that are available, to be motivated, to look at all the attractive people with great bios that remind them there's so many other people out there. And it's a really beautiful exercise to be reminded of that. I don't, I don't support them cheating. So for some of them, they set up a fake profile just so they have access to swipe around and see. I think that's a great way to be reminded. If you don't like your job, go online. Look at all the jobs that are possible or not. And that might remind you of what you have or maybe really give you the idea that you should maybe switch roles within the current company or whatever we're talking about or not. You know, So it's good to kind of check in and see what else is out there. That can really help reinforce or uh, kind of quiet down the panic. All right, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about healthy fighting. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about healthy fighting. I think some people don't even realize that fighting can be healthy. <laughs> and it's an important part of a relationship, right? Why? Well, let's see. We are not synchronized uh, skaters. It's not like we're all going to feel the same way about the same things at the same time. And relationships are whatever kind of relationship we're talking about. It's two separate people coming together and there's going to be differences, right? Disagreements. And if there isn't, I sometimes wonder if someone's selling themselves out, why are they not experiencing conflict? Because again, it's within conflict that we get to actually see how healthy are we as a couple, whether we're friends or whatever this coupledom is, um, but also how healthy the other is. Because if we can't get through times of conflict, then we're not gonna have a lot of sustainability because expect conflict. Um, I want people to be able to say, I don't agree with that, or that doesn't feel good to me, or I'm about to let you down and disappoint you. And like we have to, that's part of it. 
Um, so how we respond and how we manage that says a lot about these individuals as friends, as colleagues, as loved ones, as family members. How they fight is a really powerful determinant of mental health. So I'll ask people about that. Tell me about fights you have. How do they get resolved? How do they get dealt with? Who tends to resolve them? How? And all of that tells me a lot because we always all want to be willing to do the repair. It doesn't matter who started it. In healthy adult relationships, we value the relationship. And so we're willing to always step into initiating and starting repair whether we did it or not. We also allow the fighting, but we do it in a respectful, loving way, right? And so how do we do that? Well, first thing is you have to just understand and realize that fighting isn't a bad thing, right? It's healthy as long as we're doing it Um and again, remember, just to give you a quick, 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 quick run through, because I don't want to get hung up on this, the way, the, 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 the best steps, right, for making sure that you're dealing with conflict in the best way is you don't criticize, you make requests. So if you're upset that someone doesn't do something, you say, hey, could you, it'd mean a lot to me if you would, dot, dot, dot. You don't name, call, you don't attack. You make requests, not criticisms. Also, we don't allow resentment to build. When we have issues, we bring them up immediately within the right time and place, but we don't wait hours, days, months, weeks, or let it build up. We start to create this sense of transparency. If I'm upset about something, I'll let you know. And then it moves into the next one. We do it in a soft way. We do a soft startup. So if something happens that is upsetting you, first you regulate and calm yourself down, then lovingly and softly, because this is someone you care about, you turn to them and you say, hey, something just happened that was upsetting to me, and you make the request. In the future, when we're out, could you not bring up my recovery? You know, you brought up that I was in recovery um, to these people I don't know. Could you not do that? And your loving partner will say, yeah, I would never want you to feel bad. Thank you for pointing that out. And you hold hands, kiss, and you move on. It, that's what it should look like. It shouldn't be anyone throws a fight. It shouldn't have to be any more distressing than that. But that's what it looks like. And that means we don't stonewall or get defensive. You did something wrong. Just own it. It doesn't matter what you meant to do. I don't care about the intent. The impact was you called out their recovery. You hurt them. Say sorry. Don't be defensive. And then the third, fourth thing is don't stonewall. Be open to talking about it. Wow, I'm bummed out to know that I did that. I would never want to hurt you. I didn't mean to, but that doesn't matter. I did. And so I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing it up to me. You give them a kiss, say sorry, and you move on with your lives. That's what it should look like. That's what healthy fighting is, right? But a lot of people don't do that. They come in hard instead of starting off soft. They start attacking and name calling versus just making requests. They get defensive and feel attacked as opposed to acknowledging I did harm this person, whether I meant to or not. And they sometimes just shut it down. Don't do all of that. We can rise above because if you're in a relationship, that, that means I'm responsible for the quality of what we're creating together. And you're part of that, right? Like that, all of that matters. Um, so that's the most important thing. And it's a practice. Like remember, I, that's why I like using that word. I say the work is, or it's a practice, because it reminds us that it's not necessarily gonna be initially how we enter something. But really ask yourself, if you're not having conflict or fighting with certain people in your life, in your life, what is that about? Maybe it is because you don't see them that often and you tend to only engage around things that feel good and make sense. Or are you withholding because you don't trust that you can really transparently and vulnerably sit this person down and say, listen, you said something that upset me. I remember what that was like. It was really hard to bring that forward, but that's a sign of a good friendship. When friends were doing that to me and I was able to do it to them, that's when I really felt close when I could say, hey, something you said really bummed me out or hurt my feelings. Can we talk about it? And if they can't and they're stonewalling, well, then that really tells you that there's a limit on this. If they get defensive, that also tells you that there's a limit because they're not emotionally healthy enough to be able to hear self-confrontation. 
because even though you're confronting them, they have to go up against themselves and hear it and sit with it and make sense of it. And that's hard for some people to do, especially if they're from families or environments where it wasn't ever done in a healthy way. So it's hard for them to hear that. But that's also how we show people that they can trust us. That's how we build trust. We talk it out, we battle it out, and then they're still there. No one ran away. No one left anyone over it. Because some people do that. They run at the smallest infraction. They can't tolerate anything I'm talking about. The minute it's brought up, they run. And that tells the person, I'm not safe for you to bring these things to me, which means we can't really have a relationship. So again, it's that conflict piece that tells us everything. So really do that work because you want to be there for these people. We want them to be there for us, but it's, it's two-sided. It's a reciprocated process. So be willing to do that. Um, we're going to talk more about that later in the show. Um, when we come back, we're going to slide in the DMs. Uh, so if you've got a DM for us, drop in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. But then we're going to be talking about trying to get out of these power structures. We have certain people in our lives that we've given these labels, these made up socially constructed labels, and it implies that they have power or control over us. And they don't, and they shouldn't. And none of us need that, whether it's parent, boss, husband, wife, like all these just different, these different power structures. So we're gonna be uh, breaking those on down. So stick around, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, recently found out my partner of two years was cheating on me. She told me she'd been seeing another woman while at work, and so I left. Sorry to hear that. That's a really horrible thing to do to someone, to cheat on them. I'm telling y'all, told you before, something's going on, talk to your partner. That's the most loving, respectful thing. And I know this is more evolved than a lot of y'all can handle, but we're always trying to be our better selves. Talk about what's going on. Cheating doesn't just happen out of the blue. People lay the foundations or conditions around that which that can happen. If you're attracted to someone and you're building all these levels of intimacy, stop, call it out. Put some obstacles in the way. Talk to your partner. If it's just a problem about the relationship you're in, deal with that. Stop using cheating as a solution because it's not and it hurts people. If you don't want to be in your relationship anymore, get out. If you want better sex, talk it out. If you're flirting and you see going the wrong way with someone at work, move, change the department, set some freaking boundaries. Tell this person, I'm, I'm worried about where this could go. I'm in a relationship. We can't be speaking anymore or talking. Or go home and talk to your partner. I'm worried about my own boundaries, tell them. I don't know what it is, but be adults. Like cheating is a horrible, horrible thing. And now back to your question. But now I'm at this stage where all I can think of is what I should have done better to make her not cheat. Well, you'll never know because I don't even know if you were a factor in that because your partner didn't tell you because they weren't a healthy adult in a healthy adult relationship where we talk about problems. So you'll never know. Maybe you were a part of it. Maybe you helped, as I always say, create the kind of relationship where this person wasn't willing to have respect for it, right? We can be part of creating that. Maybe you weren't a loving, good partner and you weren't worth them not cheating on. I mean, I don't know. You're not to blame, but you might've been part of the system or maybe not at all. Maybe your partner's impulsive, has no ethics, no boundaries, is a narcissist. I don't know, but most likely you're never going to know either, right? My friends say it's not my fault, right? And she would have done it anyway. I don't know that to be true, but I just feel like it is my fault. And I feel like my confidence level has gone down. Is there anything I could have done? I have no idea because I don't know what their reasoning was and you don't either. And sometimes we have to unfortunately sit in not knowing the discomfort of not knowing, but I'll tell you what you can do. Move on. Start dating immediately. The length of time between relationships does not determine the health of the next one. The people in it does. There's no such thing as a rebound unless you choose to see it that way. Move on. Fall in love. The, more, the sooner we date, the better it is on our self-esteem. The studies show over and over, if we date sooner than later, 
our self-esteem doesn't have to tank because what we do when we keep ourselves single and we don't get back out there is we start to internalize what happened like you're doing. What's wrong with me? Am I lovable? Am I desirable? Go back out there and start dating and you'll be shown by all these individuals interested that you are dateable, that you are lovable. But be better nonetheless. Know that there's a slim chance that maybe you weren't a good partner and work on being a better partner, work on being very loving, work on creating the kind of relationship that no one would ever want to harm, work on building a transparent relationship where people talk about what's going on with them, the kind of safe relationship where if this partner does want something, they can share it with you or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Keep close, keep transparent, keep intimate. Just move on and be better. That's often all we can do in terms of this closure word that we that isn't real and we won't ever get is learn from your past relationship. That's all we can do. Look back. Who was I that I want to be again as a partner? Who was I that I don't want to be again, looking at the relationship, what are the kinds of things I don't want to allow, right? What are the kinds of boundaries I need to set moving forward? Learn from it, get back out there and move on and you'll be fine. But we never get to know why someone might've cheated on us. Most likely this is just a horrible person and they'll maybe knack that again on someone else. I don't know. You know what I mean? And to the cheaters out there, you hurt people, grow up. If you don't want to be in a relationship, get out. If you don't want monogamy, go face your partner and say, I don't want monogamy. I'm not built for it. Not everyone's built for monogamy. Some people fail at it. In fact, most people do. And so a lot of people aren't built for it. Own that. That's part of being an adult, knowing who you are and what you need. You know what I mean? But if you have a problem, deal with it. Cheating is not a solution. Have better boundaries. People are hurt. People are left confused. You know, people are left traumatized. People are left not knowing how to trust again or being afraid to. We shouldn't be making people's lives worse or harder for having been in them. So we all need to grow up a bit. You know what I mean? All right, y'all. Coming up next, we talk about letting go. And then, of course, slide back in those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our DMs on our Loveline IG page and give us a follow back. Check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it, and there they are. All right, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, May, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So again, we're continuing to talk about different aspects and elements of mental health. All of us, you know, we're in different relationships. We're always situated in a multitude of them. When I say uh, relationships, I don't just mean romantic, which is what people, it's so interesting how that word, if you say, oh, they're, you know, the different relationships they're in, um, it can make us think more romantic and sexual, not necessarily just general, but I mean general. Uh, Parent-child, friend-to-friend, romantic. Um, we're always, we always have to constantly keep on our toes, uh, based on the social networks we're a part of certain things get normalized that aren't necessarily good for our mental health. And I think the most powerful determinant of our mental health is our relationships, our relational health. So take a moment and assess yourself. Say, you know, what are the top three relationships that I'm a part of? What I mean by that is what are the, who are the top three people that I spend the most time around and, or have the most impact on me? Okay. Now, also ask yourself, how healthy are they? Or how healthy is our relationship? And that score is part of your general mental health score, right? So we always wanna be asking ourselves that because we are literally as healthy as those around us because we're open systems and it's a feedback loop. And I think the label we give sometimes is what allows us to let people off the hook for bad or abusive behavior, right? Is this whole idea that certain people are given more leeway or certain things are acceptable. We talked a while back about adultism. And basically that's a term that just says we over-center the needs and you know wants of adults and we don't give children rights and respect. We don't let children have boundaries. Uh, I see it all the time. You know, uh, people 
mistreating kids, people being abusive to kids or saying things to kids that they would never say to another adult or having expectations on children that they would never allow from another adult. Um, and we, we afford that though to multiple people in our lives. Well, they're my older brother. We, we say these things that are permission giving for someone to maybe victimize us or treat us problematically. It doesn't matter what role someone has in your life. Everyone should be treating everyone with respect. It doesn't matter. I don't care if they work for you. I don't care if they're your child. I don't care if they're younger than you. Um, none of these factors matter. Mental health means, right? We look at our impact on each other. Mental health means we look at the relationships within which we're situated and the social media within which we're situated. We look at all the different factors and pieces, right? It's called thinking in terms of systems um, and really honoring that. And so don't let people off the hook. Oh, well, that's my mom. No, you still get to set boundaries with her. You still get to say, I need you to treat me with respect. I request that and demand that of everyone. That's something I did years and years ago. I realized no one has special permission to treat me differently or problematically. I don't care what label they've been given or they have within my life. Everyone is going to have boundaries set with is everyone deserves that boundary set and respect is always mandated. And we want to really be thoughtful about that. So I'm going to run through some of the things that are signs of maybe a toxic or abusive relationship, but I want you to apply it to everyone in your life. No one should be given a pass to be negative on your mental health or victimize you. I don't care who they are, right? We, so again, we'll start with the first one, all-consuming jealousy, right? Not a good sign. Massive red flag. When they want your full time and attention. Again, it might be your mother. It might be your boss. It might be your friend. It might be your sex or romance partner. No one gets to demand all your time and attention. No one gets to demand to be the number one. We get to have a multiple set of people that are first in our lives, right? If I'm in a romantic relationship, they get priority, but so does everyone else that's important to me. It's horizontal. We don't have to do a vertical power structure. We can say everyone is as important. Everyone gets my care and attention, right? But we don't have to be forced into prioritizing one person over other. For me, for me, everyone gets a response in a timely manner. No one's texts or emails are more important than others. No one's needs. I often don't answer the phone if my mother calls because maybe I'm not in the right time and space to connect with someone or to be emotionally present because that's a huge part of what my job requires. So again, we have to set these limits. And we want to be very thoughtful about that because even though jealousy tends to be something that's more romantically driven, that can also show up with friends or family members where they're demanding our time and attention. They're getting jealous of what we afford to give to others. Um, I've seen that in some interesting ways, uh, but be thoughtful about that. And again, that ties into another point. Anyone who's attempting to control aspects of your life, no one has a right to control your life. One of the Biggest places we'll see that is with people that are our older siblings, our parents, or someone maybe we're married to or in a relationship with. Some people do believe that when you get married, you somehow are giving your partner control. You're not. Healthy relationships are never about control. Healthy relationships are about looking out for what's in, what's in the best needs of the other person. You know, we, we never should be trying to control someone. Again, we want people's lives to be made better by our entrance and our presence in their life. But we shouldn't be trying to control them because you know what control's about. Control, we try to control when we feel out of control. When we feel out of control, we don't like how we feel. Instead of us doing that work with and on ourselves, we project it and we try to control the behavior of those around us so we no longer feel out of control as opposed to us learning how to self-regulate, ask for what our needs are, or deal with the disappointment which is part of this, right? So it's that whole jealousy and control piece. We want to be really thoughtful and examine that. Is there anyone in your life that, make, that you feel controlled by? I don't care who they are. 
how can we set boundaries with them? How can we take away some of their power? How can we re-empower ourselves, right? How can we create a more horizontal power dynamic versus vertical where we believe that some people have power over us? No one should. All right, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna keep talking about this because uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about mental health and we're looking at all the different relationships in our lives and we're really looking at it, I guess, through the lens of power. We should never be feeling disempowered because of the presence of someone in our life. And it's about setting those boundaries. It's about letting people be disappointed. It's about letting ourselves frustrate people. That's the number one way you know that you're not being codependent or people-pleasing is your willingness to frustrate or disappoint or let someone down. That Until you've done that, you're, you're not really even dealing with that or working on it. If all's going well and, and people are content and, and boundaries are honored, that's great. But the work isn't being done. So it's, when those, it's in those difficult moments when you're like, oh man, it's my mom. Like I don't want to let her down or disappoint her. That's when we really are stepping into this issue. And it's like, who are you going to be in this moment? Are you going to be someone who's doing the health of, of, of you know, prioritizing emotionality and psychological well-being and saying to them, listen, I know this is going to bum you out or let you down, but it's important that I take care of myself. And then you deliver this disappointing message. And that's when you can say, wow, I really am working on empowerment and boundaries and not being people-pleasing. To work on not being people-pleasing means we have to be comfortable and willing to be people-disappointing. We have to work on being people-frustrating. And so I'll say that to clients I'm working with that are working on not putting everyone before them and having no boundaries. I'll say, who did you disappoint this week? Oh, you didn't disappoint anyone? All right, who did you abandon yourself in order to keep happier, please? And sometimes they can give me a list of names. It's like, we need to stop doing that. <laughs> you know, we can't feel mentally healthy if we're exhausting ourselves and burning ourselves out because we're afraid of frustrating or disappointing people. Some of that is born out of trauma, right? Where we were shown through our prior relationships that people don't stick around when we state our needs or set a boundary. And so we're afraid of practicing that because we're afraid of isolation and loss and abandonment. And that's why it's important to be building healthy adult relationships that are safe enough to practice this. Otherwise, we re-traumatize ourselves. Right, If we're still socializing and dating and around unhealthy family members and whatever, colleagues and friends, then we're not ever going to be able to practice this because they will let you down and they will reinforce that what you're afraid of is true, that people do leave when you let them down. And so that's why, again, the caveat in all of this is we're trying to work towards having healthy, robust relationships with everyone in our life so we can frustrate them and let them down and they'll stick around and we can have that wound healed. But relational wounds are only healed relationally. We can do all the talk therapy we want, but a lot of those relational wounds aren't healed until we go out in the world and practice this stuff and have it reinforced that people will stay, people won't abandon us, people will care for us, people will honor our boundaries, people will listen to us. And if they don't, we circle that block a few more times because this work isn't a one-off. We're not gonna magically go home and set our first ever boundary with our older brother and expect it to be honored. People that aren't used to having boundaries set will push back and try to get you to change back to who you were. They're not gonna say, and I wish they would, but you're not gonna hear them say, ah, that was very disappointing and frustrating. However, thank you for taking care of yourself. I'm proud of you for setting a boundary with me. I will honor it for you. We don't usually hear that. They'll usually push on the boundary, try to climb over it. We have to, we have to circle that block a few times. So I'll say to them, good, now go do it 12 more times. And then if it doesn't work, then you can exit the relationship because this person clearly is just not willing to grow along with you. Because we always wanna keep our bar high and try to help someone raise up to where we are versus dropping down to where they are. 
And, and I used to see that in some of the groups I would run where they'd be like, oh, no one does that. And I was like, you're right. You're used to being in unhealthy systems where neither one of us are going to be healthier or challenge the other. And we're going to co-sign on each other's crap. Or we're going to call it a great friendship or compatibility. That's not true. So this is difficult work that we're going to have to practice over and over. But the more we do it, the easier it gets for them and for us. The more you're willing to disappoint, frustrate, and let people down for meaningful, necessary reasons, the easier it gets to keep doing it. You know, you develop a thicker skin around that and you realize I can handle this. But people that are afraid to do that are people that probably haven't done it or they've had a trauma around it. Um, but we have to be willing to step in and practice this, right? This is a practice. That's why I call doing the work because it's a practice, right? You can't just do it once. You can't just talk about it. You have to implement it. And it matters most when it's most difficult. When it's easy and it works well, cool, enjoy that. But it's most powerfully reinforced and really, really creates transformation on us and other people when it's most difficult. And so we have to look for those moments and we have to not back away from those moments and we have to step into them fully. So choose some of the people that have a little bit more power over you, make you more anxious and start practicing that. Healthy people will roll with it and they'll honor it and they'll value it. Unhealthy people won't. So they're kind of telling on themselves based on how they show up to you being healthier, you know? Um, cause again, in the new year, we're not, we're, we're, we're really, really, really setting, setting better standards for ourselves. Um, also here's another sign, uh, that maybe you're in a problematic relationship and some of the work needs to be done. Someone who attempts to isolate you from family and friends. Again, that tends to be more romantically driven, but also socially as well, where a friend is threatened by your other friends, where a family members threatened by your time with others, or someone you're dating or married to is afraid or threatened when you want to spend time with your friends and family. Again, people in our lives should make our lives bigger because someone else joined. It shouldn't be the removal or erasure of those that were there before them getting there, right? Our lives should keep getting bigger as we meet people and move through the world. It shouldn't have to shrink down, right? But again, these abusers, these toxic people, they want full control. And so they try to limit. They don't want to ever be made to feel uncomfortable. So they try to control you so they don't have to work on themselves, right? Um, and also part of that is they keep, it keeps you away from maybe hearing the feedback or the information you need, right? They block any, any counsel you might get. So that alienation and isolation is a way to just kind of keep things at status quo, right? They're not going to support you processing with a friend. They'll, they'll feel like that's violating and you're talking their business, right? Um, cause healthy people would understand that we all need a support. Healthy people understand that we need safe spaces to process what we're struggling with. And sometimes that will mean our partner, husband, or wife, and they're not going to be threatened by that because they want you to get your needs met and they trust that you're going to come back and apply it and it will be well. But anyone who's thrown off and, and calls it a violation of trust or privacy that you share respectfully and boundaryly what's going on with you with friends, that's not a good sign. But again, remember, when you go share this with, with whoever you're processing, you have to be respectful and you have to be thoughtful about who you share it with. It's not just completely boundaryless, right? Um, all right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about uh, mental health awareness and looking at all the different power structures that occur in our lives based on all the different relationships we're part of and how we can flatten that out, right? Make it more horizontal, less vertical. All right, you listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're looking at the different relationships in our lives and we're assessing the kind of power structures we're a part of. And we're really working on flattening that because our mental health really means that we feel in control, that we feel respected, that we feel empowered. So we're kind of talking about some of the different red flags and 
ways to kind of really work through and around that. Uh, the next one we're talking about is just having your, your privacy violated. There are some people, again, that believe because of the role they play in your life, and all these roles are made up. They're all social constructions. Um, your mother might have birthed you, but this label of mother that we apply comes with a lot of cultural baggage and it becomes an archetype, which means there's all these associations associated with it. And, and also some um, entitlements that aren't real or honest. It's just that we've all gone along with that, normalized it. But just because this person birthed you or just because you've married this person and they have the label of husband or wife, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to participate, support or go along with the power dynamics that they think comes with that. Right? So again, it's okay to set boundaries with all the people in your life. It doesn't matter if they have the label boss or they have the label husband or the label parent or older brother or whatever these socially constructed roles of power are. They're just people and you're a person and everyone should be treated the same. No one should get special treatment, right? And so no one has a right to violate your privacy. I don't care if they're your parent or your husband. That doesn't mean they have a right to just go through your stuff or your phone or whatever it is we're talking about right? Your emails, your voice messages, your texts. You do have a right to have privacy and boundaries with literally every single person in your life. I'm in a deeply committed, intimate relationship. I still have boundary and privacy. I don't have to share literally every element of my life if I don't want to. I'm allowed to keep things just for and to myself, right? And that really means also if I'm texting or communicating with a friend, my partner doesn't have a right to hear or know what it is we're talking about. But more importantly, they don't feel like they need to because they've built a very healthy, trusting, honest relationship where they know if there's something they need to know, even if it's difficult to hear or talk about, I will go tell them because I've proven that and shown that because I wanted that kind of relationship where we know that if there's something that impacts us, it'll be brought to us, even if it's hard to hear. We have no problem having difficult, hard to have conversations. So practice that, build that in, but no one has a right to violate your privacy. Um, same thing with blaming, shaming, and putting you down. Sometimes we'll be in relationships and these people in positions of power will find fault in literally everything we do and everything we say. And they're working on making us feel unloved and unworthy. And that's a control and power tactic, right? We want to be aware of that. Also trying to make us responsible for their behavior. You made me. No, nah, boo. We can't make you do anything. We can make people feel certain things. Yes, we can make people feel things. I don't agree when people say you can't make someone feel a certain way. Yes, you can. It's called empathy, mirror neurons. It's called being a human. If someone is feeling something, we're going to have an experience of that or around that. If someone says something to us, we're going to have an emotional experience tied to what was said, right? I'm okay with that, but we, we can't be responsible for people's behaviors because emotion, mental health means I'm responsible for how I process, regulate, and what I do with the emotions that I feel as a result of all these relationships I'm a part of. So we can't let people blame us for their behavior. You know, We can't make someone treat us poorly. That's, that's a choice they make. Healthy people have regulation and empathy and don't want to act problematically on towards or around someone, right? And that goes with harm as well. You know, we, we're no longer being around people that can't control themselves and don't have impulse control or boundaries. So people that threaten us with harm or have hurt us, that's also something we really want to be thoughtful about. We want to be around people that have that self-regulation. That's like the very bare bones and basic. Um, destroying your possessions. I don't even want to get into that. Um, I'm reading off of a list, and this is tied to some work I'm doing for some other project. Um, how about this one? An inability to show compassion towards anyone, Right. Again, from the door, start assessing the levels of compassion that whoever we're talking about have. And that's usually demonstrated based on how they treat people that have less power than they have. That will always be such a communicator of someone's ethics, value system, and mental health. How does this person treat those that have less power than them? 
right? And, and dating affords us a lot of examples to really check in on that, how they treat service workers, how they treat maybe other family members, really looking at that, you know, what does their ego require? Do they feel so disempowered that they try to assert it inappropriately in the wrong times? You know, and how they treat those people is a reflection of how they will treat you at some point. How they treat the waiter, how they treat their brother, how they're comfortable treating their mother is how they'll also be willing and comfortable treating you. Don't think that because you're the romance partner, you'll be given a special pass. That's not how it's gonna go. So they're mimicking and mirroring for you what they find is acceptable. Believe them, truly believe them, you know, call that out. Um, and also finally, just always demanding being put before you. I think part of being in a healthy relationship is looking at our impact on others. Being in a healthy relationship is considering how our decisions will impact our partner. We do have to say, listen, I'm considering taking this job. What do you think about it? Because you're in, my, in a relationship with me. It will impact you, especially if it's romantically. So it's okay to consider that. I would never make a major decision without checking in on my partner and saying, hey, this is going to impact you. What do you think about this? That's being relationally minded. That's not codependent. That's healthy. More of that, please. Less self-centeredness. So again, we're moving forward, looking at all the people that we believe are in positions of power. We're removing that power. We're treating them one-to-one -one as human-to-human. -human. We work with people, not for people. Your family members are your equals. And marrying someone doesn't give them a special position of power and they can treat you poorly or problematically. No, everyone's the same in that way. Everyone needs special accommodations because of all the other isms we've talked about in other segments, but everyone should have the same level of respect and be able to set boundaries. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs, so stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, this may be kind of a weird question. Just so y'all know, I like weird questions. Please. Send us weird questions in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. The weirder, the better. You know why? This is a safe space. Loveline is all about liberation, freedom, authenticity. You know what I mean? Um, learning from each other. It's about transformation. It's about honoring the beauty of diversity, moving away from conformity and normality. None of that's mental health. Mental health is truth and authenticity and looking at the creative, diverse ways that we exist in the world, you know? Uh, but your question is, this may be a weird question. I said, no way. You said, what are some of the strangest or different fetishes you've heard of? How do people develop a fetish? Um, I'm not really gonna list a bunch of strange ones. I find that a little pathologizing in that I don't wanna just throw out some interesting ones so we can all laugh and go, oh, how strange. But if you go back and listen to some old episodes of Loveline, we often talk about all the diverse creative ways that we can be sexual or relational in the world. The beautiful thing about eroticism is it can be directed towards anything. We can eroticize and become aroused by literally anything, right? Where does this all come from? Really depends. It depends. And most, most of it we'll never know. There is no way to understand where anything came from in terms of psychology. We can develop working theories as to why we think we are the way we are, but it's all theoretical. We can theorize based on things we, we know happened to you that you might have been become the person you are based on that. But there's so many factors, right? There's genetics, there's family environment, there's the impact of social environment, which is massive in our teen and adolescent years. All we wanna do is fit in. We act like our friends, we talk like our friends. Social media has a huge impact and celebrity culture normalizing what we wanna be, who we wanna be, how we wanna look. History, the moment in history matters throughout history, styles and behaviors change. The literal diagnostic manual changes where they will get rid of diagnoses and bring new ones in every couple of years. So something's pathological, then years later, it's no longer 
being gay was a pathology at one point. Now it's not. Who knows? Different cultures have different norms and values, but we can eroticize and be turned on by anything. The easiest example is our sexualities are open systems. They're always pulling in new things and it's associative. If I see someone that I think is hot doing something, I might start to see what they're doing is hot because I saw a hot person doing it. And so my eroticism encompassed all of it. And then I internalize that. As we're watching porn, watching something erotic happening, and then we start to take in the body shapes that are doing it, right? Or what they're wearing when they're doing it. And then that starts to have an arousal associated with it, right? Or with a partner and they touch us somewhere and it felt really good and we held on to that. And then we start fantasizing about it or looking at it in porn and we build it and strengthen it. It comes from a lot of different places. It's an open system. I don't really get into where or why because that's usually rooted in trying to problematize it, right? And attach it to something bad or negative. The work is really about saying, I'm turned on by what I'm turned on by. That will ebb and flow and change as I get older if I have a really healthy adult sexuality and I'm open. And uh, it doesn't really matter because as long as I'm being looking at everything as consensual and with compassion, all's well. Two consenting adults doing things that don't harm anyone, have your fun, do your thing. You know what I mean? Asking why and all that gets really, it's, it's a little bit tied to trying to develop theories and problematize stuff. So I lean out of that. But what's the strangest thing? Everything because you can eroticize everything. So whatever you can imagine, someone's turned on by it. So let your imagination run wild. Truly, it's all out there. And if you really want to find out, Google some stuff. Go to one of those uh, porn search engines and type in random things and videos will absolutely pop up. It's all there. Everything, anything. The bulk of us are kinky. You know, like 75% of the top key search terms in for porn are not normal vanilla things as one would define them. So kinkiness, and sexual creativity is what's actually normal. What we tend to call normal isn't actually normal. It's the small percentage of people that like the more basic vanilla stuff. So that thereby makes it actually abnormal. You know, the stuff we call abnormal is normal. Things we think are normal are actually abnormal. Isn't that interesting how that works actually? That's why sex is fun stuff. All right, y'all, that is our show. <laughs> Get to your weekend. Check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Fill your weekend full of as much rest as possible. Seriously, as much rest as possible. Tons of joy and pleasure. How can I build more pleasure into my day, you ask yourself, and uh, as much self-care as you can handle. And uh, we'll be back on Monday, so join us. Y'all have a good rest of your night. Go easy on yourselves. Go easy on those around us. Life is hard enough as it is, and uh, get into some good trouble. Have a good night.